Do you have a first musical memory, something that, that made an impact on you? Uh, I've got a handful, to be honest. Um, uh, one of my earliest memories is listening to Elvis with my, with my grandmother and uh, just, just listening to not only his early recordings but a lot of the stuff like he did in the, in the, in the, 70, the 60s and 70s and, and just loving the songs, you know, and, uh, and, and just really getting into the melodies and everything. So I, that's one of my first uh, musical memories. And, and, then, uh, and then after that, it was just, you know, like listening to my mom's stuff and then, you know, babysitter stuff. Like, I mean, there was a whole journey, but I think it started with Elvis. What was it about Elvis that attracted you? I loved his voice, you know, and I loved the way that he could sing. It It felt like he could sing anything, you know, mm -hmm. like he'd sing uh, the slower, more meaningful passages and he could sing the rock stuff and then the rockabilly stuff mm -hmm. and then the gospel stuff. It just seemed like he had no limits to what he could do. And he could put a, a jaggedness, a roughness in his voice when he wanted to, but then smooth it out right. when he when he needed to you know, make it a little creamier. So I, I think that's one of the reasons that his music to this day still you know stands and it feels so alive. And and you mentioned the music your mother played. Yeah. Was music a big thing in your household? And it wasn't huge, but uh, but it was definitely around. You know, my mom. Uh, Uh, collected a lot of 45s and uh, and 78s. So, you know, I grew up around vinyl and, uh, you know, I listened to everything from, my mom listened to everything from Motown to disco, you know, it was very, very strange. So I kind of grew up listening to that stuff. And I think that kind of, you know, instilled in me an inherent rhythm, but then also like a, a good, uh, a good vibe for different types of melody, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it was really, really cool. At what point then did you think, I want to make music myself? You know, I started really kind of getting interested once I was, when I was about 13. Um, that's when I started teaching myself how to play guitar. And uh, I knew that I liked to write, you know, I liked to write lyrics and whatnot, but I didn't realize they were lyrics at the time. So I just kind of started, you know, writing poems and stuff. And I realized that, you know, when I read it back, I could hear a melody in my head. So. I, you know, I just kind of sat and, and, and taught myself chords and taught myself how to play. And then I, I realized that I could pick up uh, and, and learn songs on the radio just by, by ear, you know, because I've always been, I've always learned how to play by ear. And that kind of got me, you know, more into, you know, learning how to play guitar better so I could write my own songs. These, these poems, do you know what compelled you to write them? No, I just, it was something I enjoyed, you know, I just, you know, I just loved um, the, the, the freedom to express, you know, like I just, and, and growing up the way I did, I needed an outlet, you know, mm -hmm. I needed an outlet to kind of, you know, tap into how I, how I felt and, and try to, you know, keep myself from going insane, to be mm -hmm. honestly. So, you know, I, it, just the fact that I kind of had that talent, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy that I did, to be honest, because it, it kept me from losing my mind and, and hurting myself in more ways than one. And so when music came around, that was a, a, a real blessing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was, uh, it was very fortunate to, uh, to discover that I had that talent, you know, because I mean, at, at the time, I didn't realize I was good at anything. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. So um, when, I, when I figured out that I wasn't really built for that, you know, I, luckily I had music that I could kind of embrace it, you know. 
And, and when in this process did the, the more heavier music uh, come into play? Um, I started listening to thrash metal when I was in junior high. So, you know, obviously Metallica, mm. uh, Megadeth, Anthrax, Testament, Slayer, um, Old Exodus. Like, you know, I really, really got into it. And, um, you know, that felt like my music, you know, like that was my music. Like everything before had been somebody else's music. Mm. And then thrash really felt like my music, you know, like, like everything from, you know, DRI to, you know, uh, Death Angel. It was just, you know, that's the stuff that I loved to listen to, you know, and, uh, um, th it just, it just touched something in me, you know, especially like I said before, you know, growing up the way I did, mm. um, I needed something like that, that felt like it was my voice, you know, and, uh, you know, that, and it, th that led me to like so many different other things like hardcore and, and old school punk and, and stuff like that. But these heavier elements, those, those were uh, an outlet for you. Yeah, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, you know, show itself in my writing uh, okay. right away. Um, it was just the music that I loved to listen to, you know, and the stuff that I wrote was much more acoustic based or it was much more like, uh, like 70s punk, like, you know, pretty fast, but still very melodic, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until much later when I, when I felt more confident playing guitar that I started writing heavier stuff and heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's when it got to the point where, you know, I, I needed something to, to kind of, you know, channel that aggression. Was Stone Sour the first uh, real band you had been in? It was the first real band that I was that I had started, yeah, and uh, and really continued with until obviously I joined Slipknot. Yeah, it was a it was the first time that I felt it like that I was with strong enough people um, that I wanted to to write music, play shows, you know, make an album, like and and really I, and and feel comfortable enough and strong enough that I could you know, play my songs for other people, you know. Before that, it was just, you know, kind of hit and runs with uh, cover bands and stuff like mm. that, you know. But uh, with Stone Sour, there was just something special um, where I felt like, you know, this is where I'll write my, I'll write material and we'll perform it live, you know. And, it, and it'll, you know, that's how, that's, that's kind of how I, I learned to, to do what I do. Do you remember the first song you were proud of? Um, you know, I, just the fact that I was, you know, writing music, I was pretty proud of that. You know, there was a song that I wrote for, uh, an ex-girlfriend called, uh, it was called Call My Name and it was very sappy, hmm. um, very love songy, you know, it was the first song that I ever really recorded okay. on my own, you know, it was just me and an acoustic guitar and I was so proud of it that it, uh, my grandma still to this day has a copy of it that she listens to. Yeah, and uh, have you heard it recently? No, God, I you know if I heard, I'd probably sound like I was twelve, man. And I was like, you know, I was seventeen when I recorded it, you know. And then that's when I started kind of learning my way around a, a studio, right, right. and uh, you know, learning how to kind of go back and make sure that the take is the one that you want, and and uh, you know, putting harmonies and stuff like that. So yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool, you know. But it was even before Stone Sour had, yeah, had finished yeah. the first album that, that Slipknot kind of came calling. So what attracted you to Slipknot then? You know, I was at the very first Slipknot show um, when they performed as Slipknot because before that they had done a show under a different name. And uh, I think it was called Meld. And uh, they didn't have masks or anything like that. And it was totally different music. Um, 
but then when they came when they kind of stopped and regrouped and became Slipknot I was at the very first show and I can remember just being mesmerized man I mean it was so the the intensity was so palpable mm. and musically it was kind of all over the map but it was so awesome and it felt so good that I can remember just sitting there going holy shit this is amazing you know and I and I'd never felt this before in my life but something in my head said I'm going to sing for this band someday and lo and behold about a year later they asked me to join and you know rest is history no, is it true that the first gig you played with them didn't go all too well? No, it was fine. You know, I just I, I, I read I, uh, it somewhere. So. I, it was before I had really developed my own mask. Okay. You know, I had uh, I had a lot of uh, face like almost like corpse paint, but with right, like right. liquid latex kind of like around my head. Um, but that didn't go well. Let's put it that way because right, right. I had uh, I uh, I had. Uh, uh, hair down to my back and it was bright red like really good because I used to dye my hair a lot back then and uh, the stuff that I had put in it melted it was one of the hottest shows we had ever played and everything melted on me man like it was like everything that I had spent hours putting together just melted and uh, and then I and then I did the, uh, the the biggest fashion faux pas for Slipknot I took my shirt off and oh my god I near the end of it so yeah it was, it was uh the, the show itself musically i thought right, it went right, really right. well um but then but the, you know but then again i hadn't been in the band that long you know i'd only been in the band for about two months and there's a certain philosophy that you kind of have to learn it's a trial by fire with mm -hmm. slipknot there's a certain way of thinking and a certain way of looking at things and eventually I kind of got there. How, yeah. how long did that take? It took about another month. Okay. Let's put it that way. Because was it difficult to step in then after, after they had their core, core set already? Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was weird. You got to realize we all knew each other. Okay. You know, we had known each other in the scene, you right. know, and uh, um, I can remember doing shows with, with Joey and, and, uh, and uh, Josh Brainerd, who was the original guitar player. Uh, and Craig, actually, he, they were in a band called Modifidius. And uh, I had done shows with them before. I had done shows with Paul uh, in passing and Andy, the original singer. Mm. So I knew all those guys, you know. I actually went to high school with Paul's brother, Tony. Like, we were good friends, you know. So we knew each other through, like, all these, like, weird different back channels. And we all hung out at Clown's Bar together, you know. So we all knew each other, you know. So when I came in... There was there was a moment where it was like it was kind of getting to know each other, mm -hmm. but then once they saw my dedication to everything, to making myself a better singer, uh, a better writer, like I mean, I was dedicated to being the best at what I did, and once they saw that, like that was it, and there was no more tension. Now we kind of have to, in, in in the interest of time, kind of have to skip over okay. the, the the records, or not skip over, but cover them quickly. Okay. So the, the first record. Um, it kind of got you on the map, a lot of word of mouth uh, attention, yeah. and, and so how do you look back at the first record? I look at it uh, very fondly, to be honest. Um, that, that's really one of the only memories I have from then, is, was making the album, because then after that we, were, we just went right on the road, mm -hmm. and that's a blur to me. Like the whole, like we were on the road for a year and a half, just playing and, and, and headlining all of a sudden, and then just like all of this success kind of like pouring on us, and we're just like, uh, 
So now I, I can look back at the album, and that's one of the true memories that I have mm -hmm. is making that album, and and uh, I'm very proud of the fact that 16 years on, it's still very powerful. And mm -hmm. I have kids come up to me all the time and just tell me how much they love it, and they've just bought it, and it and it sounds like it could have come out yesterday. And the, and then the next album, Iowa. Iowa is quite heavy and quite dark. Um, I'm proud of it now. At the why, time, why not? Why not then? Well, because we were all so fucked up, man. You know, like mm -hmm. we didn't. We you know we were nine guys from Iowa suddenly thrust with all of this crazy success that we weren't ready for. You know, right. so we were all kind of insane and selfish and uh, taking various chemicals or mm -hmm. getting wasted. I mean, it was really a dark time. So. For me, I was so fucked up at the time that I, I didn't I didn't allow myself to enjoy the process. Let's put it that way. Um, I just knew that we had to make something that was just going to destroy the world, and it, obviously we did. So, um, so musically, it was, musically, it was, it's right. great. Absolutely, I love that album. It's so. It's probably the heaviest, one of the heaviest albums of all time, and I'm very, very proud that that was us. You know. Mm -hmm. Like we could have just turned around and just done a bunch of singles like we had seen so many bands do before. And we were like, fuck that. We are coming out and we are going for the throat and we are going to establish ourselves as a force to be reckoned with. Because with the second record and the third that I assume as well, there must have been pressure from labels to, to, for you to change your sound a little bit. We've like. never let them come in. We've always mm -hmm. done exactly what we want to do. And that's one of the reasons why we work with the people that we do is because we know that an album lasts forever. Songs can come and go. Mm. An album lasts forever. And this band is all about longevity, you know. So when it came time to do volume three, it was time to expand, but do it on our terms, mm. you know. So we uh, we kept the, the record label out of the studio forever. We were just like, you don't get to hear shit. You don't get to see shit. You don't get to feel shit. We're gonna make this, and then we'll play it for you. You know. Mm -hmm. So volume three, again, was difficult for me because I was kind of pulling myself out of that alcoholism and and, and uh, drug addiction. Right. So it's you know the first half of making that album was really difficult for me, but now listening back, I I, I don't like the sound of my voice, but I love some of the stuff that I recorded, let's put it that way. And I think overall it's a fantastic album. What, what did you like about your voice? I was trying something different, you know, like I was trying mm -hmm. something different with my throat because I've always tried to do something different on every album, mm -hmm. you know. On volume three I was trying to do a higher pitched scream um, and I also, it was the first album that I wrote with no curse words to right. it because everyone had said he doesn't know mm -hmm. how to write lyrics without swearing and I'm like, really? Check this out, you know. So I I, th I figured that would be the biggest fuck you to everybody, you know. Um, melodically, my, you know, it's there's a lot of strong melody on it, um, but at the same time, I was newly sober, and my my throat wasn't as strong mm -hmm. as I would have liked it to have been. But listening to it as as a whole with everything, like taking myself out of it, I think it's quite a strong album. Once the substance abuse kind of subsided, yeah. was the recording process or even the writing process different for you? It got better for me. I, I know a lot of people who think that they can't write without 
booze or drugs mm -hmm. and I'm the exact opposite. I prefer to write sober because I can get right to my point, right like that, right. you know? Like I know what I want to say. I want, I, and, and I, when I can focus on it and let it come to me, that's when I get the best stuff, you know? Um, so I, I found that I was better sober and that really reinforced my sobriety, man. Like it made me dedicated to it. And I saw that I was better in everything sober. I was a better father, better husband, better writer, better family man, better bandmate. I mean, just across the board. And mm -hmm. that's, that has really become the, the foundation of, of who I am today. And then uh, the fourth record, commerci commercially, it was a really big uh, success. Yes. But yeah. then, I believe the band doesn't have it, it was in very such a high, a high regard. Very as difficult to make. Um, the band was very divided hmm. at the time, um, and I was kind of in the middle, you know, like trying to trying to get everybody to work together. Um, when it was very split down the middle, and you had two factions going on. Uh, I, to this day, I can't believe it got done, you know, to be honest. I mean, it was so, so hard. Um, and, and it, it, you know, there are a lot of regrets with that album um, because, and, and I can't speak for everybody, but I know myself that, I, that I, I didn't try harder to get everybody to work together. There was at some point you just kind of have to throw your hands up and be like, I, there's no more, there, I can't do anything else, mm -hmm. you know. So for me, it was hard doing that. It was hard, uh, but I, I think there are some great songs on that album. I definitely do. There's some stuff that you will probably never hear live. However, there are some fantastic songs on that album. Was the the vision was that mainly um, musical? It just wasn't a vision. Okay. You know? Like it was just us trying to, you know, when when you're doing this, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it works. And sometimes it's just this, you right. know. And unfortunately, we were just we were just we we all had walls up around us, and we just couldn't get through to to get on the same page, you know. And um, there are certain people who are more at fault than others, um, but for what it was, um, I think it's a testament to the fact that we would not allow anything to beat us. That we actually got the album made, so uh, and uh, you know it's kind of reflected in the name, yeah. right, right. But then uh, a year la later, tragedy happens, yeah. and then Paul uh, passes away. Yeah. So, what was the mindset at that point? At that point, you had a, a record; not everybody was too happy about it, and then something like that happened. So, yeah. so where was the band at that point? Very, very dark spot. Let's put it that way. Um, and you know, teetering on the brink of just saying, you know, what do we do? You know, so I can say there was never talk of breaking it up, but I, I can I can also say that there was a moment where we all kind of looked at each other and went, well, what do we do? You know, um, and I, I think going out and doing those Sonosphere shows helped us kind of figure that out and get get back on the the right path you know as a as a band you know in, in what way what what did you discover we discovered that we still wanted to do it you know we discovered that we still had passion for playing live and getting out in front of the audience you know and if you can't do that 
then I, you know, especially after losing someone so, uh, a person who's so key right. to that band, then the, the, you should always call it a day. Like if you can't find the joy from the fans to help push you to that, then you should never keep going because it's always going to feel forced. And luckily, you know, the fans came in and, and really helped get us back up on our feet, you know. Do you remember the first song that you wrote after, after that had happened? Yeah, it was Goodbye. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the first song that I wrote for Slipknot after, after this happened. And um, that song is, is, uh, is all about all of us sitting in, in my basement in mm -hmm. Des Moines. And, and uh, we had just, we had all just found out that Paul was dead. And uh, it's about that intense numbness mm -hmm. and like the quietest of quiets. I mean, just so in insane. I mean, you're literally sitting there going, what just fucking happened, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what that song is about. It is about that moment of looking at each other going, fuck, fuck, you know? Um, yeah, no, that was, uh, it was a hell of a day. Well, th there's one line I wrote down, and, and maybe I'm, I'm uh, from that song, and maybe I'm, I'm uh, misinterpreting this, but uh, as a band, you're a pu public figure, so in a sense, the, the grieving process also was, was a little bit on the public sphere. So the, the last line, I think, of the song was, no one can know what we're feeling, so don't even try. So was that an issue that people had had their opinions and they, they kind of, or? Um, no, it's just, I mean, everyone who's ever lost somebody is gonna deal with things a different way, you know? Um, you can relate, but you can never truly understand, right. you know? I mean, and, and, uh, and that's what we were trying to say. It's like, we've all lost him. You're going to grieve in your way. We're going to grieve in ours. So don't try to act like everything's okay just because it's been three years on, right. you know? Because we had so many people trying to pressure us to make an album. We just kept saying, fuck you, we're not ready. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to make us make an album. And that's where that line really comes from. It's just basically holding our hand up and going, look, until you've walked in our shoes, you will never understand it. And, uh, you know, it was just it was just our way of, of setting the record and just being like, you, 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 like, you'll get an album when we're ready, basically. When was this point that, that you were ready? Um, you know, we just kind of started talking. I mean, there was no specific point. We just kind of started talking. Um, and then uh, Clown and Jim got together and started working on some great music, man. I mean, really, really good stuff. Sarcastrophe came out mm -hmm. of it, uh, AOV, um, just all this great stuff really came out of that. Uh, these, these like demo processes, you know. So between that and the songs that I had and then the stuff that we wrote in the studio, you know, it, it just really seemed like we had a great template for telling the story, you know. And it, mm -hmm. We all kind of looked at each other and went, "This feels good. Let's let's chase this. Let's let's go after it." What what did it do for the songwriting dynamic? Because obviously, Paul was an integral part of it. Yeah, um, 
you know, we learned a lot from Paul, to be honest. You know, he had such a different way of looking at music mm -hmm. that you couldn't help but pick it up, you know, because Paul was the kind of guy who would hear a riff and then he would immediately think of 12 different other ways to play it, you know, like he just had, there was just something about his, his, uh, his understanding of music. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily we all picked that up, you know, and we all kind of remembered, you know, jamming with him and bouncing ideas off of him and uh, it was it was cool, you know, and I think because of that it just felt like his spirit was with us, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not a religious person, I'm mm -hmm. not anything, but it just felt like he was with us and that, it just made it that much more enjoyable, you know. But some of the songs obviously are, are quite uh, emotional and, and yeah. personal, uh, so was it difficult to get through uh, some of them? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, Goodbye was a, a fucker, you know. Getting through that one was tough. Um, Skeptic was was a hard one. Um, if Rain is What You Want was, was particularly difficult. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. And then, you know, obviously stuff kind of uh, reflecting our own self-loathing, like Letch mm -hmm. and uh, Negative One. That was just letting the dog off the chain, you know, and you, you have to do that, you know, and especially in the grieving process, a lot of people don't realize just how selfish you can be. Um, it, it, even in the face of, uh, of trying to be strong for the people you love, there's a certain part of you that's always going to be selfish. And, uh, you know, to, to disavow that is a negative thing. You can't do it. You mm -hmm. have to embrace it and you have to let yourself feel it so then you can let go of it. And that was, you know, that was just me trying to be as honest as possible in the lyrics. Are, I can imagine some songs, are, are they, when you perform them live, do they take you back? Um, you know, it's weird in retrospect. Um, negative one does. Um, just because It's such a personal song for me, you know, it's one of those songs where it's like I'm looking in on myself. And I always find it difficult um, to, to embrace it as much as I did on the album because, you know, there's a part of you that is trying to entertain, but at the same time it's that crazy like, fuck, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's getting easier, you know. and. Uh, I think it would be harder if the if the new stuff didn't fit in so well with the new stuff or with the old stuff. But it really does. I mean, it really lines up really well. So, I mean, luckily we did something good there. Well, one one uh, theme I should say that I kind of thought I saw on the album. I, I might be wrong again, but um, was something about re the real realization of of the finality of life. Is that correct or is that fair? Well, it's, it's, I guess there's, a, there's probably a little bit of that. Um, one of the main themes, I hope, and I hope I, 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 I put this on there, is that you can't take anything for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, um, someone you love could be gone that quick and you'll never get another chance to see it and tell them you love them, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's difficult, you know, it's especially when we as humans are so selfish it's hard to have that kind of openness now you know mm -hmm. especially in this day and age when everyone is so me 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 it's hard to imagine anything like that being taken from you and unfortunately until you've lived that you'll never understand it 
Um, fortunately, and, and then maybe this is one of the the only positive things to come from such a tragedy like that. It's made me appreciate everyone in this band, and uh, I try to do my best to make sure that they all know how much I appreciate them uh, every day. Because yeah, one of the things uh, why uh, the fourth album kind of uh, you couldn't get together uh, with each other is, is, is one of those things. So when, when this album came around, was everybody really focused and, and really... Once we got in the studio, yeah, it, there was a lot of focus because we were all on the same page again, mm. you know? And uh, one of the reasons we were able to focus as strongly as we did is we, we finally started talking about the grieving process. We hadn't talked to each other about it. Okay. You know, we, we didn't realize what we were all going through and that we were all going through the same thing, you know, because we had all cocooned ourselves in that kind of sadness, that self-preservation kind of thing. Right. Uh, so once we got in the studio, and honestly, once everybody started kind of reading my lyrics and started seeing the story that I was telling, that's when they really, really started to go, oh shit, well this is what I was going through. This is what I felt that day. This is what I was going, you know, this is how I've been dealing with it. And once we did that, I mean, it, it was almost like fingers closing on a fist. And it really made it so much more powerful. And you could feel it on the music. I mean, it's mm -hmm. so, so punchy and so emotional that, you know, it was, it just made everything effortless. You know, as hard as it was, it made everything effortless. Finally then, uh, because I'm almost out of time, there's one song uh, I wrote a line from down. Uh, it's Custer. And the line is, uh, anything exceptional gets crushed by common people with jealousy and ignorance and their common evil. And all their common evils. And, and all yeah. their common evils. Yeah. So, so can you explain? Well, that song is essentially about um, everyone kind of looking in on us as we were making this album, saying mm -hmm. they can't do it. They can't make another album. They're, they're not going to be able to make an album as special as everything else they've done. Um, and that's basically... Uh, them trying to put their limitations on us and we just aren't having that you know nobody dictates to us what we can and can't do and that's what it's that's all about it's basically me just you know you know holding this up and being like you don't get to dictate you don't get to say what we do we do what we want and at the end of the day this is the album that you're going to get and if we weren't happy with it none of you people would hear it you know so yeah i mean it's just basically that message of I mean, it's right there in the chorus. Cut, cut, cut me up and fuck, fuck, fuck me up. You can go ahead and dissect us and tear us apart all you want, but uh, you, you're just not getting through. You're not getting in. This is the way it is. Because as a, as a band, you, you have been uh, scrutinized quite a bit. Oh, yeah. The, from, the, from the very beginning because of the, the, the music you make, but also the, the, the performance and the, yeah. the way you look. So I assume this has always been the attitude then. Basically, yeah. I mean, we uh, when we're on the same page, we move as one, we fight as one, and we are one. All right. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. <laughs>